if you look at so many of the the kings in the Old Testament and, and what God says about them, it says that um, they did this which was right in the sight of the Lord, but then they did this. And um, the end result's never good. So compromise is the last thing we should do. I, I constantly remember what Martin Luther said. And he said, hang unity if it comes at the expense of the truth. So unity without truth is not true, uni- true unity at all. It won't last. And all you end up doing is ending up in an argument. We're going to be in Luke, the sixth chapter, for a few verses. Let me read a couple of verses and then I want to talk about something for a minute that pertains to it and then we'll look at the verse by verse. Six. Chapter of Luke, verses 1 through 5. It says, Now it happened, as he was passing through some grain fields on a Sabbath, and his disciples were picking the heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands, and eating the grain. But some of the Pharisees said, Why do you do what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And Jesus answering them said, Have you not even read what David did when he was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and took and ate the consecrated bread, which is not lawful for any to eat except the priests alone, and gave it to his companions. And he was saying to them, The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Let's pray before we start. Lord, there's so many places where you tell us that you're the Lord, and you're the Lord of this thing, and you're the Lord of that thing, and you're the Lord, actually, Lord of everything, and we know that. But we don't act like it so often, and we get sidetracked, And we think there are things that you're not Lord over or things that you don't control. I just pray that your word would penetrate our hearts and we could see more clearly how everything is in your hand. And we ask it, Lord, that it might be a a clear thing to us and not something that's cloudy and not something we compromise with. And we ask it in your name. Amen. I um, was looking the other day, and this is sort of a side thing. How many times it talked about the people being enraged at Jesus? And they hated him. They wanted to see him <coughs> put down. They wanted to see him dead. But the word rage, or its equivalent word, or so often throughout scripture where they just hated Jesus. They couldn't stand him 
And it's evident why, because he didn't let their their lives stand and calls them into accountability for it. But um, it's just remarkable that the Son of God is hated so much by so many people in the world, especially those in places of authority. And it's scary because we see the same thing today. And in order to more fully grasp the importance of what's happening in these verses that we just read and some verses right afterwards, we need to take a brief look at the Sabbath and the place that it had in Jewish life. And these Sabbath stories, so they're called, show Jesus in conflict with Jewish, Jewish leadership over, over practices that were central to their identity as God's people. And much of what it means to be the faithful community was tied to Sabbath observances. The seventh day of the week divided the Hebrew month into four equal parts that were called Sabbath. The importance, though, of the Sabbath was in its religious significance. The word Sabbath means rest. And it's linked with God's creation or ceasing from work after the six days of creation. And he gave Israel the Sabbath law at Mount Sinai, the fourth commandment, and made it a sign between him and the nation Israel. And some of the rabbis actually taught that Messiah could not come until Israel had perfectly kept the Sabbath. So obeying the law was very important, both personally and to the nation itself. Every Sabbath day provided a reminder of who God was to his people. He was the source of their life. He was the provider of their freedom. He was the one who ordered their lives and gave them meaning. The Sabbath day provided rest from normal activities of life and time to reflect on who God was or their roots in God. And practically, the Sabbath provided benefits for family, for servants, even the animals, to have a time of rest, a time of relaxation and restoration of strength. And the land itself was to have its Sabbath rest so the nutrients of the land would be replenished, restored. After the resurrection, the early church began to meet on the Lord's Day. The first, rather than the seventh day, became the day of rest. To call Sunday the Sabbath is to confuse the first day and the seventh day. And what each signifies, the Sabbath is a reminder of the completion of the old creation, while the Lord's day is a reminder of our Lord's finished work in the new creation. The Sabbath speaks of rest after work and relates to the law. The Lord's Day speaks of rest before work 
and relates to grace. And I hope you, you're following this. The Sabbath speaks of rest after work. Okay? God rested after he did all of his work of creation. And he rested. The Lord's Day speaks of rest before work. Jesus, the first day of the week is the, commemorates the resurrection of the Lord. Okay? It's Sunday, not Saturday anymore. And it's the rest before work. We don't do any work. We rest in Jesus first. No works accomplish anything. You, you relate. It relates to grace. The Lord's Day commemorates the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead as well as the coming of, Holy, of the Holy Spirit and the birth, the birthday of the church. So again, Jesus rests and then you work. We rest in Christ and then we work. But the work that we do has nothing to do with salvation. We're resting in the accomplished work of Jesus. So you can't talk about the Sabbath and the Lord's Day as if they're one thing, because they're not. One relates to work, the other one relates to grace. But by their strict and oppressive rules, the Pharisees and the scribes had turned the Sabbath day into a burden instead of the blessing that God meant it to be for his people. And Jesus challenged both their doctrine and their authority. Now, let me read these first five verses again. Now it happened that he was passing through some grain fields on a Sabbath and his disciples were picking the heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands and eating the grain. But some of the Pharisees said, Why do you do what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And Jesus answering them said, Have you not even read what David did when he was hungry? he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and took and ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for any to eat except the priests alone, and gave it to his companions. And he was saying to them, The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. The Pharisees reject Jesus because of three dominant things. There are other things, but the three dominant ones in Scripture seem to be, for example, in Luke 5, where Jesus forgives the sins of the man that's lowered through the roof in his presence while he's teaching. And there are teachers of the law in the background watching all this that goes on. And Jesus claims God's authority where he forgives this man's sin who's paralyzed. And then he offers proof that he has the authority to forgive sin by healing him. Remember, he said, what's easier to do, to say it or to do it? And so he shows them that what he says is accurate and true because of what he is able to do. In the same chapter, chapter 5, a little bit later, 
They reject Jesus because he associates with sinners and tax collectors. And now here in Luke 6, that we, uh, the, the verses we just read, they reject him because he does not keep the Sabbath as they interpret it. And these issues will dominate the relationship between Jesus and the Pharisees ending in his crucifixion. The first two verses that we just read show Jesus and his disciples passing through grain fields. And the disciples are picking and eating some heads of grain. The disciples are not accused of stealing since what they did was legal. It's legal for every traveler to take grain as they're traveling along, handfuls of grain, and eat it. The problem is when they did it. The problem is that they did it on the Sabbath, as far as the Pharisees and the scribes are concerned. The Pharisees believed that plucking the grain was a violation of reaping or harvesting, and rubbing the grain in their hands was a violation of threshing. Throwing away the husk probably representing represented winnowing, where they would take the grain, get the husk off the grain, and they throw it in the air, and the wind would blow the husk away because that, that's lighter than the grain, and the grain falls and falls down. So doing this is a prelude to threshing because they're taking it and blowing the husk off and eating it. And eating the grain showed that they had, they had prepared food, which is illegal on the Sabbath. So you've got four violations and one mouthful of grain. <laughs> I mean, should they even walk in that park? Walk into the fields. Well, just in the eating the grain, there were four yeah. violations. And that's not going to count everything else they did. There were over a thousand addendums to what God said in the commandment about what constituted violations of the Sabbath. They had volumes like this that they had to study to show what you could do and what you couldn't do. And none of it was in Scripture. It's all interpretations of the teachers year after year. And they accused Jesus for what his disciples did because this relates to their belief that a teacher is responsible for what his disciples did. So if the disciples do something that they consider illegal, the teacher's held responsible too. In verses 3 and 4, Jesus doesn't argue with them, but he took it, they took them directly to the scripture that comes out of 1 Samuel 21, where David asks for and receives the loaves from the priest, from the priest to feed himself and his men. He's on the run from King Saul and he's hungry. And so he goes to the priest and um, asks for bread to eat. And the priest says, the only thing that we've got here are the consecrated loaves. These are loaves that were baked a special way, 12 loaves at a time. And they were brought and only the priests were allowed to eat them. And if they were left over, I can't remember the length of time. New loaves were brought in, and any other loaves 
that hadn't been eaten would be thrown away. This was called the consecrated bread. But anyway, they were consecrated by law and could be consumed by the priests only. But David asked for these, and the priest gave it to him. So it was in a moment of crisis for David and his men because they're running from Saul and they're hungry and they don't have any food. Now, breaking the law, they should have been condemned by the Pharisees, but the Jews, including the Pharisees, held David in such reverence that they made an exception for David. But they don't hold Jesus in the same esteem that they hold David. So it's not legal for Jesus to do to break the law but it was okay if David did it in that one circumstance. David, they would say, was God's anointed king. But that's exactly what Jesus claimed for himself. Remember back in Luke 4.18, Jesus had read in the, in the tabernacle from the Isaiah scroll, and he said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And he sat down and stopped. He's saying that I'm the Messiah that's to come. And the people knew what he was saying. Not only was he God's anointed, but he was also the Lord of the Sabbath. When Jesus made that statement out of uh, verse 5 that we just read, that he was Lord of the Sabbath, he's claiming to be Jehovah God because it was the Lord who established the Sabbath to begin with. And if Jesus is truly the Lord of the Sabbath, then he's free to do on it and with it whatever he wants. And the Pharisees did not miss meaning. God is more concerned about meeting human needs than he is about protecting religious rules. Better that David and his men receive strength to serve God than that they perish only for the sake of a temporary law. God desires compassion, not sacrifice. That's what he says in Matthew 12. It's amazing how we're able to take something simple and make it so complicated that you don't recognize it anymore. And the Sabbath laws as taught by the Jewish leaders had become so complicated that it was beyond complicated. Their additions had taken a day that God meant to be joyous and a blessing, and turned it into something that that was dreaded because you never could keep everything. In Exodus 20, God gave his people the Sabbath law. And verses 9 and 10 say this, Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter your male or your female servant, your cattle or your sojourner who stays with you. 
That's it. Don't work. Do whatever you want. Just don't work. So that's it. But by Jesus' time, tradition had been piled upon tradition for centuries, making keeping the Sabbath repressive. Jesus, however, is intent on showing the heart of God. Keeping rules don't save you. Only trust in God's Son saves you. Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. The Sabbath is a creation ordinance established by God at the beginning when he, re- when he rested from his work of creation. Only the Creator can be Lord of the Sabbath. So here, the Lord of the Sabbath day, the one who made all things, is being challenged by the Pharisees for his behavior on the Sabbath day. Makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? Let's look at verses 11, 6 through 11. On another Sabbath, He entered the synagogue and was teaching. And there was a man there whose right hand was withered. The scribes and the Pharisees were watching him closely to see if he healed on the Sabbath so that they might find reason to accuse him. Need to pay attention to that. The people that claimed they loved the Sabbath more than anything are wanting Jesus to break the Sabbath law so they can accuse him. Instead of wanting him to be more perfectly understand or more perfectly understand what the Sabbath meant, they don't want him to. They want him in their eyes to break the Sabbath so that they can accuse him. But he knew what they were thinking. And he said to the man with the withered hand, Get up and come forward. And he got up and came forward. And Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful to do good or to do harm on the Sabbath, to save a life or to destroy it? And looking around at them, he said to him, Stretch out your hand. And he did so and his hand was restored. But they themselves were filled with rage and discussed whether, discussed together what they might do to Jesus. They're filled (coughs) with rage. Luke emphasizes his point that Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath, with Jesus doing a miracle in the synagogue on the Sabbath day. The rabbis didn't object to healing on the Sabbath if there was danger to life. But if there was no danger to life, you had to wait. Healing had to wait unless you were going to die, unless something was done. Otherwise, it was not allowed. So once again, we see Luke's training as a a physician reveal itself because none of the other gospel writers tell us that it was his right hand. But Luke's a doctor, 
He notices these things, and as we've seen before, Luke points out these things that other writers don't do. Withered is a word that's used of plants or dried wood. And here is probably some form of muscular atrophy for this man with the withered hand. And once again, the opposition to Jesus comes from the scribes and the Pharisees. They didn't doubt Jesus' ability to heal. The issue for them was whether Jesus' healing power was divine or demonic, which we clearly see in Luke 11. And they knew the Sabbath could be broken for certain life-threatening situations. But this was not one of them. And by this time, Jesus' attitude toward the Sabbath was well known to his opponents. And they were watching everything he did on the Sabbath to see if they could catch him profaning the Sabbath so they could condemn him. The term to accuse refers to finding a legal accusation that could be used in a court of law. Verses 8 and 9 says Jesus knew what they were thinking. How does he know? He's Lord. You and I might have had suspicions, but Jesus knew. And he called the man with the withered hand to come forward and stand with him. And Jesus challenged the scribes and the Pharisees with the question, Is it lawful to do good or to do harm on the Sabbath? To save a life or to destroy it? The issue is not doing good versus doing nothing, but rather doing good versus doing evil. There's no neutrality in this. Failure to do good in these circumstances is doing evil. And that's something that all of us need to understand. When we fail to do good, it's not the, a neutral territory. We're doing evil because we know to do good and we don't do it. Scripture says God holds us accountable. These people, these Pharisees and scribes, they know the answer to the question, is it right to do good or evil? They just didn't want to give the answer. You can be sure that the scribes and the Pharisees had read the book of Isaiah. And the answer is right there in the first chapter of Isaiah. Their God is indicting Israel during Isaiah's time for their superficial, their shallow, and their false, their false religion. The same thing Jesus is addressing here. And God is sick and tired of false religion. He's sick and tired of their sacrifices because they're just rituals coming out of a false heart. Isaiah 117 says, Learn to do good, seek justice, reprove the ruthless, defend the orphan, plead for the widow. And in the 10th verse of Luke, it says, After looking all around them all, all around at them all, and then Mark's gospel adds a little bit to this. Mark's gospel says, after looking around at them all, with anger, 
grieved at the hardness of their heart. So Jesus apparently paused for a moment, looked around, gave them time to answer, and they didn't. They weren't about to. They don't take the opportunity. Jesus told the man to stretch out his hand, and it was completely restored to health. You would think, naturally, upon seeing a miracle take place right before their eyes, the scribes and the Pharisees would rejoice and praise God for his compassion and mighty work for this man. But sadly, that's not what happened. Instead, they were filled with rage and they conspired to do what they might do to Jesus. We're only in the sixth chapter of Luke. And the official position of Judaism concerning Jesus is already fixed. They want him dead. And the contrast is sharp. And the contrast is between divine truth and human tradition. It's between true knowledge and madness. Between goodness and wickedness. Between compassion and indifference. Open honesty and hidden deception between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan. The Pharisees saw themselves as guardians of God's truth. Yet they watched Jesus closely, hoping that he would break the Sabbath so that they could, so that they could accuse and destroy him. As a group, they were overwhelmingly against Jesus. But by the grace of God, not all of them were. Acts 15.5 says, But certain ones of the sect of the Pharisees who had believed stood up. And the reference is to the Jerusalem Council, headed up by James, when Paul and Barnabas came back and told them all about what God was doing with the Gentiles. And part of this council in Jerusalem, this Christian council, there were Pharisees who had believed. They were part of this Jerusalem council of the church. And in case we forgot, the Apostle Paul was a Pharisee. God's grace is greater than all of our sins. Let's pray. Lord, help us to see you and who you are and not be blinded by our own faults and prejudices. Lord, it's so easy to fall into a trap because we're just dust. But Lord, I just pray that you would Lord, teach us that we might grow in you, that we might understand better, that we might be joyous in what you do and the grace that you show us all. But we would not condemn those things that you don't condemn. We would not praise those things that you don't praise. Lord, we need you and we call on you to hold us close and to lead us into all righteousness. And we ask it in the name of Jesus.